You're listening to the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast, where we read them so you don't have to. Like the show? Become a patron at patreon.com forward slash nygbc. You should write a book, Fry. People need to know about the can eat more. getting this book on UFOs. Did you know they're real? But there's a huge comic conspiracy to cover it up. Oh, that's just a paranoid fantasy. I want to be a book. You can pick me up, flip through my pages, make sure nobody drew wieners in me. Not Your Grandmother's Book Club Podcast, where we read them so you don't have to, because Brexit means Brexit. My name is Kevin, and I'm joined as always by my co-host Benedict, the man truly responsible for what the British did to India. Benedict, do you know the Muffin Man? Who lives on Drury Lane? Yes, I'm not sure no. where Drury Lane is. Is that a real place? Yeah, it is. It's, uh, it's, I think it's, it's, it's somewhere in London. It might be something to do with the Great Fire of London. Ah, but it, the Muffin it, it Man is somewhere started London. the fire. We have uncovered the conspiracy. Yep, that's true. That is, that is all that I did. How are you today, my good man? You know, same old, same old, same old, same old, same old. Still stuck at home in a tiny apartment. Listen to the outtakes after the episode if you want to get the inside yeah, on that we're show. Not, we're not doing outtakes. We're not. Um, yeah, how are you? I'm fine. I'm fine. It is, uh, what, day... 500 of quarantine i think we're going on now i think so i'm starting to lose track but uh my mind my mind is my mind is gone that's that's the main problem yeah you know why because you keep making us read these fucking books (laughs) that's why it doesn't help it's like accelerationism for the brain breaking okay but i love them i love these and okay we've we've talked about this i think we talked about it on the air before but you generally actually do not enjoy these books whereas me because i think in the past, I believed these things, and this is the way that I thought for a period of my life. I'm standing back from an ironic distance and enjoying them thoroughly. Yeah. And I, I'm able to sit here and laugh at these while you are having to undergo the excruciating agony of just now understanding that people actually think this way. It's not just now. Look, these books are strict, strictly utilitarian for me in the sense that I like <laughs> to know what the people that don't think the same as me are thinking. And yeah. the answer is they're not. That's, that's the... <laughs> The question and, well, and, and look, answer to that. Well, here's the thing, right? And, and this book, I should say, right? Listeners know we've done a couple of these books now. Um, and this book, more than any other, I think, is pointless, worthless garbage. There's nothing Oh, this in one this is book. particularly bad. Right. Whereas, at least with, and I've said this many times, the Dinesh D'Souza book is and probably will remain my favorite book we've ever done because he seriously argued that Nazis and the left are the same. And it doesn't get crazier than that. And he actually tried to make the argument. He did very bad at it, but he actually tried to make that argument. Well, I, you could argue that he actually did it quite well in the sense that... <laughs> that there's no presented... way to do it well? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I mean, in the sense that 
sorry, the comedy switch going off for a second here. <laughs> but in, in the sense that he presented arguments, which if you don't look for counterfactuals, make sense. Right. So like he says things like, hey, the Democrats were kind of into the Ku Klux Klan back in the day. And you're like, oh, shit, I didn't know that necessarily. And that is true. Like that is not a false statement. But there are counterfactuals that have happened, you know, since then that kind of alter that argument a bit. But like the yeah, argument it's called 1964. He... Yeah, true. Truly. But the, I mean, the, it, the fact is, it's just not presented as a dialectical discussion. It's just like, hey, this is what happened on the one side you should be super skeptical of anyone that tells you the opposite. So in that sense, like from a unilateral perspective, it's kind of well argued. Fine. You know what I mean when I say it's poorly done, right? I mean, I if you do what you should do and look into the arguments, it's absolute garbage. From from a, a Marxist viewpoint of history, it is a garbage book. And from most academic viewpoints of history, it is a garbage book. From a real world yeah. View of history, it's a garbage book. And look, you can listen to it right now because we've been releasing the old book review of the Dinesh D'Souza book in between our regular new book releases. Uh, would you so, look at that? Yeah, would you look at that? Uh, I started with it because it was my favorite. So you can go back and listen to them all right now if you're a new listener. If you're an old listener, just enjoyed those good old days when we still had a, a glint in our eye and a, a smile in our voice. Yeah, I was less depressed than anything. <laughs> We were, because like I spent hours going through them, right, to edit them to get, and I just wanted to listen while I was, you know, going through everything and putting it all together. And I noticed we did sound a lot happier back then. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's also because like you, you were, you're like fresh faced when you're hearing the argument for the first time, and you're like, mm -hmm. man, if I can debunk this, who knows how many people we can win <laughs> over? And then you read it for like the fifth time, and you're like, oh my god, yeah. people are still. I can't because I those same the arguments do get recycled in all these. Again. Yeah, like yeah, I get I it. I need like I need like a soundboard that just plays my argument <laughs> that I've done a hundred thousand. times. we could do that. We could put together a show. We don't even do, we spend enough hours sitting in front of a microphone just recording, you know, blanket responses to all these arguments. I can just cut them together in the order that's needed for each chapter of every book we do, and we're Sounds done. Good. Perfect. Uh, but anyways, uh, why don't we get on with the shoe? Uh, starting off with a couple of little things. Uh, chapter seven, you may have noticed if you listened to the last episode two weeks ago of the new book release of Triggered, uh, is for patrons only. You might have wondered, where was chapter seven? I heard six, and then I heard eight. Where was seven? If you want seven, the only way to hear it is to go over to patreon.com forward slash nygbc and become a patron for as little as $2 an episode to get that and all sorts of other cool perks. We're going to have more patron-only bonus episodes and all sorts of fun stuff going on there. So again, check that out, patreon.com forward slash NYGBC. Also, make sure to follow us on social media, at NYGBC on Twitter, and you can find us on Facebook now, because even though I hate Facebook, I finally went ahead and made a Facebook page. I despise Facebook. I know. I cannot I, stand I, using Facebook. And I don't know I think why. Chapter 8, by the, the way, is my favorite favorite, book, favorite chapter we've done. Oh, yes. Chapter 8 was... Because we had Morgan on. Morgan's always a yeah. lot of fun to yeah, do these with. Fun. Thanks, Morgan. And, uh, yeah, thank you, Morgan. And uh, also, remember, you're listening. If you're listening on iTunes, go down and hit the five-star button. Leave us a review. Do that. It'd be nice. Because uh, we just got this show rolling. And you may recall, we lost most of our audience... Uh, during our old hiatus. 
Yeah, that was our and it would help that was us. Our bad. That was our fault that we went on an eight month hiatus yeah, uh, from the good. old show before starting yeah. the new one. Uh, and it would help to get some people back if you guys would leave us some reviews down there. So go ahead and Honestly, do that. Honestly, that was mostly my bad. So just for Kevin's sake, so that I feel less bad about myself. I did myself. keep asking, Benedict, have you have you bought the new book yet? Have you bought the new book? No, I'm going to order it tomorrow. Have you bought the new, no, I'm going to order it next week. Have I you bought the new book that. yet? It never happened. Finally, I got you to do it. Uh, this time I didn't have to buy it for you, thankfully. That's true. <laughs> Which I have had to do in the past just to get you to do it. Uh, oh, by the way, I just noticed that this book has above the, the ISBN at the back, or the barcode rather at the back, it just has political science slash current events. No, no, you do, you do not get to put <laughs> political science on this book, okay? I got a degree in political science from the top university in the world. Don't you argue with me on this right now. I got a degree in political science from the number one university in the world. I, 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 you don't get to call this political science. I mean, it's biography at best. Like, it's, it's polemics at best. Memoir at best. Okay, yeah, exactly. You you don't get to you don't get to caption this political science. No, I'm sorry. Ah, anyways, Benedict. What are your reading suggestions for this week? Something oh. that people can read that would be much, much better than this book. You know, this, the, these books make me so brain dead that like when we were writing the script for this, <laughs> I had to go out and look at my bookshelf and be like, what the fuck else have I read? <laughs> like, I, I know I've read good books in the past. I just, for the life of me, cannot remember what that is like as an event. So uh, anyway, my, my book is actually about a dictator. Uh, do you know who the... It's a fiction book about a dictator called The Feast of the Goat by Mario Vargas Llosa, who is a Peruvian Nobel Prize winning author. Um, La Fiesta del Chivo is the original Peruvian Spanish title. Uh, do you know who the dictator of the Dominican Republic was back in the day? No, I do not. Uh, it was Rafael Trujillo, who was a famous strongman at the same time as Papa Doc in Haiti. So oh, Haiti and the Dominican Pro Republic both had uh, dictators at the time. And it's the See, story... My, my focus was on Southeast Asia and political science. You know this. Yes, I do know this. Um, so it's the story, it's the interwoven story of somebody whose father used to work in the dictator's administration and she ended up fleeing the country. And then, so it's her story, the story of the dictator's last day, spoiler alert, and the story of the assassins that killed him and what happened to them in the aftermath of his assassination. And it's They had, they had a chapter, nice goat lunch? Yeah. Each chapter is a different <laughs> point of view, essentially. <laughs> and they kill him about halfway through the book and then everything goes to shit for everyone, basically. And it, it deals with the fallout. And Vargas Llosa is a, cool, a, a good writer. Um, he writes a lot about power struggles and power vacuums. And it's it's kind of an interesting one for me for that reason it's one of the excellent. first books i studied actually excellent very nice well my suggestion for this week is glenn beck's new book arguing with socialists because what? i bought it and it i'm in love why wouldn't it be i i come up with this fucking cerebral <laughs> recommendation of like nobel prize winning fiction and here the fuck you are fine here's my suggestion uh infinite jest because if you want a long drawn out biography about people you don't care about but don't want to read it from donald jr go read infinite jest there you go, there you go. Uh, but <laughs> okay, this Glenn Beck book. Hey, it was it was suggested uh, by one of our patrons, um, uh, Taro Tucan, 
who, when she suggested, okay, it was half a suggestion because I had already texted you saying, I found this book, it's amazing, and I had read one of Glenn Beck's books in the past, and this one, it's 50% racist cartoon, 50% failing to realize he's writing satire of himself. I can't <laughs> wait. We're going to put it up as one of the options we're going to do for the next book. If we don't do it for the regular show, we might do it for patrons only. We'll see how things go with that. Uh, but it is fantastic, and I'm going to read it either way because I, like I mentioned, love this terrible stuff. So, Benedict, with that out of the way, it's time to return to our book review of Triggered by Donald Trump Jr., a man whose accomplishments read, My dad won the presidency. Full stop. <laughs> so, what did we read this week? I don't really know. <laughs> but it is a chapter that took me as about as long to read as a full cross-country drive. Like, literally, like I was looking at the words on the page, and I knew they were words, but I just I couldn't put them in the order that they needed to go to make sense to me in any way. So it took me approximately 48 hours of fully staring at these pages to and this is the this is literally the chapter i have the fewest notes on honestly because i'm just like i'm i'm not even like i'm impressed how little he says in 14 pages it really almost. is astonishing and it's one of those those chapters that makes you go again wait i thought this was about how the left hates us and wants to silence us not his biography for only a couple years uh so the chapter is called election night but my alternative chapter title if i may is you may. Uh, pretty pretty picture time with Donald Trump Jr. <laughs> yes, because in the middle of this chapter, we get the photo spread in the middle of the book, which is which I have glorious. never understood as no, a thing. No, I don't it's either. It's just like to me, it's normally when like biography writers are exactly. like, "Listen, I read so many fucking books and newspaper <laughs> articles that I had to look at all of these pictures, and you know, I find them interesting. So here the fuck they are for you as well." Like, right? But here's the thing: these pictures, there's a couple in there that do have something to do with what he wrote about in the book. The majority of them, just pictures of him and his kids. That's it. Yeah, which it's fine. It. But then it's not a political science book. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, I actually, I wrote three alternate chapter titles this oh, week. Oh, cool. Lay them on me. Uh, because I, I couldn't stop. Uh, one, my first one, I'll just watch you play catch, Dad. <laughs> uh, and the second one relies on you having seen a movie I know you haven't, uh, Varsity Blues, and it's I Want Your Life, which... Yeah, that's, that one's lost on Somebody me. just laughed about. Uh, and the final one is uh, the results if you search Cucked by My Father in Pornhub. Oh, no, no, no. Go with the first one. I'm going with all three because I get to. Okay. It's the power yeah. of being the editor, baby. All right, so this is chapter number nine entitled Election Night. And as it sounds, it's going to be him writing about what happened on election night because you recall it's, this it's book is about how they about hate election us. day, though. Well, yeah. Also, in general, election day, election night, it's all the same thing. But we start off with the afternoon of the... Do you remember election night? I remember yeah. literally exactly where I was. Oh, me, of course. Yeah. Was... I was I was in uh, at Berkeley at the time, and I had a, a upperclassman apartment, so I had uh, five roommates, but we all had little individual rooms. But we had this nice, um, not nice, you know, large-ish living room, uh, and I, we had put a TV in there, and we were watching the election results, and we had like 12, 15 people over, and we had, you know, a bottle of champagne in the fridge, and we had, you know, we were just ready to, ah, you know, election night is going to be a win, whatever, and we'll just have a fun time. And then as the night went on, 
we got progressively and progressively more scared. And then yeah. when Pennsylvania went, you know, we were all sitting there for like an hour before Pennsylvania was decided. And like, I remember looking to one of my, my female friends who was sitting next to me going, okay, it, if she wins Pennsylvania, then, then we're still okay. And then that happened and yeah. we all, yeah, we all, <laughs> bad stuff happened, man. It was a bad so, night. So let's stop reliving that. Well, no, I, I just want to say it was like, I distinctly remember because I had been over uh, visiting at the time because I wasn't here on my, my permanent residency yet. And I had proposed to my wife on that trip. <laughs> and then we obviously got engaged and then I was leaving the day after election night because I thought, oh, at least, you know, we'll have had a good yeah, night the night before. Yeah. And then that was the worst day I have had in a long ass time because <laughs> I that happened. And then I had to leave and then I wasn't allowed back until my visa came. through. Oh, God. And you don't know what the hell is going to happen with visas when this man gets elected. So oh. that was. And I know whole, I know we I know day. we knew each other at that time, but we weren't like texting frequently like we were now. Like we are now. No. So, it, yeah, it wasn't... I don't uh, know if we even knew each other then. I'm pretty sure we did then. Only just if we did. Like, we weren't doing the first podcast by then. Uh, I don't remember. Anyways, why don't we stop with our boring uh, reminiscing yeah, sorry. and get to Donnie Jr.'s boring reminiscing, uh, where he starts off with, as I mentioned, talking about the afternoon of November 8th and uh, sitting in his office at Trump Tower with Tommy Hicks, you may recall, the millionaire whose family owns the Texans, uh, or the Astros? I don't remember which team. Gentry Beach, another Texan. God, if that his, is not that a is real not, name. No, Surely. I had the same thought. I had the same thought. <laughs> and also uh, Yosemite Sam, who was also there, <laughs> who is another millionaire uh, from rich family, and Charlie Kirk, because of course Chucky has to be in here somehow. So two millionaires and a college dropout. Uh, it's it sounds the start like of a, a bad joke. I, yeah, I was about to say, it's the start of a joke about they all walk into Donnie Jr.'s office. But so he tells us, and he keeps giving <laughs> us throughout this chapter these little peeks, right, into how nobody believed in Trump, nobody wanted Trump, right? He mentions that the RNC was, he says, less than thrilled that Trump was their nominee, which I think is a little bit of understating the point. I, I'm trying to remember back, and people... I mean, a lot of people obviously weren't less than thrilled. Like, a lot of people were thrilled at the time. And this was... Uh, did we... We just glazed over, by the way, the locker room talk. Like, that was never addressed in the in the. Oh, did the you expect that he would address this in this book? No, no. I had just forgotten about it. And then I was like, there was only one time when people were really mad at him. And that was, like, three weeks before when that tape came out. And then everyone just kind of forgot about it. And were like, okay, well, you know... Lower taxes, though, and that was it. Look, Republicans so, are fine with the racism and the xenophobia, but the moment you break the curtain and say what they really think out loud, then you're going to be in trouble with them. Yeah, that's not great. Anyway, yeah, so th that was that. And then they were like, uh, he's like, oh, when Hillary's team was busy setting up their victory party, like as if the Trump team wasn't like... You still had a victory well, party. Like here's both the sides thing. always set up a victory party. Like So they none of them thought they would win. And he sort of says that throughout this chapter, right? Where he talks about his dad, the president, ugh, was upstairs <laughs> in the apartment at Trump Tower until it became clear that Hillary wouldn't be walking away with the election. Then he finally came down to join everyone in the war room. Yeah. So Yeah, exactly. And not only you know, did nobody sorry. thought they would win, they didn't even think they would win. No, exactly, because the, the polls 
the polls were right also like he goes on about like oh the polls and, <laughs> and how much they mattered in the end like the polls on a national level were correct hillary won by like three percent like that that which is roughly what they it was just you know the electoral college is a fickle feature, mistress not a, bug. a fickle mistress yes exactly it's <laughs> truly that but you know it, it's not it's not like the polls were wrong. The state polls weren't done okay, very here's well. Here's the thing. We talked about this, and I wanted to bring this up because we talked about it on the patron-only episode, Chapter 7, but it comes up again here when he's shitting on polls, and I had to bring it up again. Everyone's shitting on Nate Silver. I just I know. Poor Nate Silver. <laughs> poor Nate Silver. You gotta feel so bad poor for Nate that Silver. just that statistics nerd who just wants to have fun with statistics, and everyone yeah. fucking hates him. But yeah, he talks about but anyway. The polls were right. Is the point? Like, yes, they showed a, a three to four percent margin for Hillary, and that was pretty much right. Like, yes, you are correct. He should not have won. Uh, but so he talks about what he was doing on campaign eve or the uh, the election day, election eve, all that. He talked about how he was in his office, and he says he was like a caged animal on his cell phone, talking a mile a minute as. Tommy and Gentry, that's the dumbest name ever, queued up the next conservative radio show host, having them ready for me as soon as I hung up on the current one. I put Charlie in charge of my social media, and he furiously typed as I dictated tweets. I had something like 30 million impressions, a number which 50 is insane. Million. 50 million. 50 million. Okay, <laughs> two things. If, if you're... If you're just putting someone else in charge of typing, is that just because you don't know how to write? Because he wasn't saving any time by dictating things. So, like, what I'm just is, imagining why is, he why has he has a cell phone in each hand. He's got Rush Limbaugh on one. He's got Ann Coulter on the other. He's yelling at people. Get people out to vote, as we see on the next page. Where he has oh, yeah, capitalized an entire paragraph. Get out to vote. You gotta go up. You gotta turn out. Nothing else matters. Just insane. But he it's, says it's a lot. No, no, hold on. I have another point. So impressions is a garbage metric that means nothing. Yes. It's literally like, this is how many people maybe saw this post. Like, okay, amazing. Like, how many people cared about it? So anyway, that as someone who has worked in social media, Thank means you, nothing. Captain Boring. Yep. But he brings up at the bottom of that page that he did 47 radio interviews in the span of several hours which he says has to be some kind of record. And I, at this point, when I was reading this chapter, got so anal, I had to look up the record <laughs> for radio interviews in 24 hours, which, by the way, he does not have. Uh, it was no. Pavlina Osta in the United okay. States on the 23rd of November, 2014, who did 347 radio wow. interviews in 24 hours. And that is today's Guinness Fun Fact. About what? What is it? What was she talking about? Just radio interviews. She did 347 uh, radio interviews. Who is she? What's her deal? Why I don't know. She wanted to, to be in the Guinness World Record book because some, for some reason people care about that thing. Oh, so she was doing You remember the, the Guinness World Record book, right? You Guinness remember World when you were a kid, the Guinness World Record book, there was always the guy, somebody who had a bunch of stuff crammed in their mouth on the cover, somebody with really yeah, long I fingernails remember. and a dog on a surfboard. That was like what was I always remember. on the Guinness Book of World Records. And for some reason, we thought it was the coolest thing ever, even though uh, they've destroyed it for us now with Last Week Tonight. Yeah, they did. They really so really crushed it. They really did. But he tells us they were much closer to winning than anyone. And he, this is where he admits, again, including some members of the Trump campaign, though they wouldn't admit it today, ever thought we would be. And Donnie, you're one of those people who didn't think you would win. I guarantee yeah, and it. And so is... 
So is Trump yeah. himself. Again, remember, this was all a PR campaign gone wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And th- there's this bit here uh, when he is talking about Red Bulls again for no reason. Don't knock on my it's, Red Bulls, man. I, I'm not. I'm just saying he clearly was after a sponsorship deal and I mean, then was like, will you sponsor me? They were like, no. And he was like, I can't be bothered to find all the Red Bull mentions in the book. <laughs> I feel like it's a guilt by association thing that I really is making me feel bad about my addiction to Red Bull and that, that uh, caffeine okay. high I'm always looking for. That's okay. We forgive you. Yeah. But he says that they didn't have, they were all clustered in the war room here. They didn't have Hillary Clinton's thousand person campaign office. Like I've said, he says, we were lean and mean, which translates to nobody wanted to work for us. And we were basically <laughs> running bare bones with the scraps we could pick up from anywhere we could get them. I forgot all these people worked for Donald Trump, including Steve Bannon, which is just, I, right. I had utterly forgotten that. There's a picture of him. There's a, there's a picture of the side of his face in the photo spread we're going to get in a couple of pages. Is that? That's I another thing about the photo spread. Are we sure he's not a vampire? Uh, I know you didn't look as closely at the photo spread as I did, but there are some great instances in there of people being barely cut out of the frame or him putting in, you know, you put in the citation of who's in the photo and you can't see any of the other people that he's talking about are supposed to be in that photo. It's just him. That's all you get. But we'll get to it. What you don't know, Kevin, is that Steve Bannon is actually in all of these photos. He just doesn't show up because he's an actual vampire. Who would be surprised, to be honest? But he gets into a little bit of griping here about the liberal media and how they were so harsh, so mean, and they were all against him. They have that liberal bias that we all know about. And to your face, he says, however, these people would tell you they had no agenda, never took sides, and only reported the facts. To which the obvious response is, well, yeah, your father is objectively bad by all of the facts. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I, I also love the bit where he's like, we had Fox News on, of course, but also the MSM. And I love that distinction between Fox News, which is the Number most one cable watch, news yes. show in, the world, in, in America, <laughs> and the, the mainstream media, which is far it less It really watched, makes you wonder right? how they define... And look, here's the thing, right? Fox News is out of the mainstream in the sense that the majority of the country disagrees with the views espoused by Fox News. The majority of the world disagrees with the views espoused by Fox News. But you are correct. They are the number one most watched cable news channel in the United States. Is that just cable news, though? Like, is NBC News more watched? I don't know. I would guess that given these days, everyone, if you have... Uh, some sort of TV service that you have cable or satellite uh, and you still get NBC through your cable or satellite. It's not like any, but most people aren't getting it through an antenna these days. So I would guess that they're, they're caught up in the same metrics and I'm sure Fox news outranks the NBC nightly news. Uh, right. I, I just off the top of my head, I would guess that that's the case. Yeah. Because I mean, people, people normally have, people don't just have NBC anymore, really. Like they either have, one or they have them all no like. we just have stories of back in the day when our parents tell us there were three channels and we had to walk uphill both ways in the snow to get to them uh <laughs> so we learn next that even though all the politicians said he came out of nowhere donnie jr knew it wasn't true because the energy that flows through his father is the same energy that flowed through his grandfather and great-grandfather before him an energy built on a foundation of American spirit, smarts, and grit. 
which the proper listing there would be Bitmax, Diet Coke, and Grit, but like actual can I, grit. Can I just cut back to something we skipped over? They were giving him days off in the final three months of yeah. the schedule, <laughs> and apparently he snapped and said, enough, there's only three months left of the election. I don't want any days off. If I lose, I'll have all the time off I need. And it turns out that even though he won, he has he's all had the all the time off, off that, that he needs. needs. <laughs> you are correct. You are correct. Thank you. Uh, but Donnie tells us that though it took him a while to realize that same energy flowing through his father flows through him. And we learn about the... Uh, oh, that's where... Went. Okay. You know, that lethargic energy, and then he leaves the room for 15 minutes and comes back full of it. So apparently... <laughs> big soft sun energy. I don't want to get big into the Donnie Trump snorts Adderall <laughs> conspiracy, but... I've been watching all the press conferences, and there was a couple where he's left the room and come back with a whole lot more energy than he was with the first time, and I don't know where that's coming from. I thought the, the rumor was that it was Sudafed. Could be. I don't know. That's still uh, the same thing. It's an amphetamine. I mean, it's not the yeah. same, but it's an amphetamine. So it could be. Who knows? Uh, yeah. I don't have any notes between now and the pictures. Do you want to <laughs> do the pictures? So, I mean, I have a little bit. I have a little bit. So this is where we get, right, like, I, ahead, like I mentioned a few minutes ago, where he says uh, his father hadn't sat down all night. The first time he saw him sit down was in the war room, which he mentioned that his dad had been upstairs in the apartment where he wasn't, and then came down to the war room and sat down uh, when they found out Hillary wasn't going to sail to victory. And this is where he starts telling us about how he thought about how much his sister and brother-in-law had suffered and sacrificed for the campaign. And he makes probably my favorite comparison of the entire book. He compares Jay Cush, Jared Kushner, to the Michael Jordan to a whole team of Dennis Rodmans. And I don't know if he realizes how that makes him sound because Dennis Rodman is a fucking crazy person. If you're not familiar with American basketball from the 80s and 90s. I am not. He's a fucking insane person who had sex was he with good at, Was he good at the basketball, though? He was good, but more importantly, he was colorful and crazy. Right? You, did, you may did recall he play on he, the same team as Michael Jordan? Yes, he was on the okay. Bulls when they won the championship. I, don't know. Yes, I literally, I could not know less about this subject. The, they were a good duo. I understand what he's trying to make, but Dennis Rodman is more famous for being crazy than he is for being good at basketball. Is he the North Korea one? Or is that yes, he is the North Korea oh, okay. one. Yes. Cool. The friends uh, with North Korea. So that worked out. The metaphor works. <laughs> so, and he, tell, he tells us now that his father hadn't even written a speech that night. He hadn't written anything. Shocking. 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 He was just going to come up with it a few minutes before he had to go out there. And then Sorry, I think we cut to the photos. Before spread. he had yeah. pictures. <laughs> Because I want you to experience the same thing I did. Because I hate, I hate these photo spreads in the middle of books. So why don't we go yeah, right know. into the photo spread? And then we'll try and remember what we were reading after we get done with the photo spread. And we won't. We'll have to go back, flip back through it, get back to what we just last read, read the paragraph again, then go and try and start back up. But we start off with a picture on the front page of Donnie Jr. signing a hat that says Trump 2020, no bullshit with a look on his face that I can only describe as help, I'm surrounded by Trump voters. Yeah, also, it's not completely obvious at first glance that that hat says no bullshit, so I thought it just said bullshit. <laughs> like, it's kind of cut off from the page. Well, if you so... flip it over and look inside, it says made in China, so it's yeah. a different thing. The framing of the, some of these photos leaves something to be desired. This is true. And then we go through a photo, a, a 
two-page spread of family photos from his youth, from Donnie Jr.'s youth. Because remember how this book is about how the left hates us and wants to silence us. Uh, mm. we, I'm sorry, I meant biography of Donnie Jr. Yeah. So we get the baby Trump photos. Looks the same in all of these photos. And like, never good. This, this is no. another thing that made me crazy, is that these people are insanely wealthy. They hire professional photographers they have all the people they want to take care of, and they unquestionably have thousands and thousands of pictures of themselves. They can choose any ones they want, but they are incapable of finding any where their father, the president, looks good. Yep. So we have yep. one... Uh, Someone who has been in the media for dozens of years, mm-hmm. like in, in the center of the media's eye for dozens of years, and no, in none of these photos does he look any different to how he looks now. I mean... Besides the obvious hair loss, I, sure, sure, basically looks the same. And he's put on about 20 yeah, I, pounds. I, I know hair loss when I see it. <laughs> yes, you do. So do I, because I'm looking at you. Uh, well, we get a picture of him sitting on the bench in the Yankees dugout, where uh, Donald Sr. is apparently wearing an outfit he stole from James Woods' wardrobe in the movie Casino. Uh, <laughs> we get, And then we get below that, probably, I don't know, might be my favorite one. Donnie Jr., after his high school graduation, standing next to his dad, wearing a puka shell necklace with his bangs hanging down into his eyes and his shirt unbuttoned, looking like the douchebag he truly is on the inside. Is, is that what a, a puka shell is? Is that what it looks It's a puka it shell. There, there are okay. different colors of puka shells. Got You're it. thinking of the white ones? It's a I different am, type of, yeah, different type of puka shell. And then we cut over to the next page spread. Where we get, and I, I think I mentioned this uh, last week, but when we had Morgan on, we talked about the story where college girls, partially clothed, were crawling on top of a picnic table to get at him. And we get on that page what must be that example, because he, it he describes it as visiting Florida State, we were welcomed at a frat party after the game. And he's standing on a table, speaking into a Beats headphone. <laughs> Yeah, surrounded by men. Surrounded by men. Fully dressed And there is one woman standing on, like, probably the step of the table so she could get everybody above everybody and hold her phone out and get the best best picture. That's it. Remember how he described that story as women crawling onto picnic tables to get at him? You know, he's he's a Trump, so he must, you know, he must have the good looks. So he's attractive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Anyway, yeah, it's very... The, the rest of those and photos are, are not interesting until you get down to the bottom right. It's him speaking or lying down. That is, yeah, like, exclusively yes. what this double-page spread is. And then we get down to the bottom right where I just have written over this one picture, which is a banner and a bunch of people holding it, and yes, him lying on the ground. Surprise, Eric! Because Eric Trump is like if you invited people over for your birthday party, you're all having a good time, the doorbell rings, you go and open it, and Tilda Swinton is standing there! <laughs> <laughs> Nothing against Tilda Swinton. She's a fine actress, but she has a jarring exterior look about her that is Surely. is quite surprising if she comes at you out of nowhere. My my favorite photo is actually on the next page, and it's mostly because of the caption, because it is literal photographic evidence of what he's about to say in the rest of the chapter not being true. Because <laughs> yes. in, the, in, yes. in the rest of the chapter, and we'll get to it, he'll be like, Hillary didn't call to concede that night. And then, but this photo, this video literally says... Hillary Clinton calling to concede on election night at 2.30 a.m. So, like, yes. huh? <laughs> I know. I know, man. Also, love that a screenshot made it into the, like, and not even, yes. like, a cropped screenshot. No, like, a screenshot of a video. 
Yeah, you can crop that picture so that it's just him taking the call. You don't have to... <laughs> it's very weird. Yes, and directly opposite that is a photo of all of them in front of the Lincoln Memorial. Also, one second. It's just a lie. It says a video that I took at 2.37 a.m., and the the screenshot clearly says two thirty one a.m. You're right. So like, you're right. it's a small lie, but why? I don't think it's a lie. I think he just read it wrong. He looked at two thirty one and thought it was two thirty seven. Oh, what that's that's amazing. But right across from that on the next page is a photo of the entire family standing in front of the Lincoln Memorial. Somehow all looking <laughs> paler than the fucking memorial. Yes, but I want you to look behind Melania. Look behind Melania. Because we're both, we have have the book open, right? Somebody actually asked me on Twitter a couple days ago, can you stop rustling the pages? Well, it's because we have the books in front of us. Sorry, we're trying to be accurate. It's my fault, though. Yes. Is that Jared being cut out by, who is that being cut out? Somebody is being blocked in the photo by Melania. And remember, he got to choose these photos. He chose one oh, no, where so, yes, you can't see him. Jared is tucked behind Melania where you can just see the corner of his head. It's fantastic. Yeah, because he's next to Ivanka. Yeah, I think that I think that is Jared. That wow. is so Jared, though. That's so I Jared. I like, fully zoomed in on my phone. <laughs> trying to get, like, a... That's so Jared, man. So the next page of the photo spread is him with all of his kids who all have that wide-eyed expression of, please help me, please help me. Uh, and again, they chose terrible, and yet kids look goofy, right? But they chose, like, you know, sometimes there's those, the, you know, the red they eye They chose artifacts. images where the adults look bad. Yeah. Like. <laughs> and the kids look worse, right? But, like, you know, they, they have, like, those red eye artifacts. They're just issues with taking photos, which is why when you have kids, you, you take 20 of them and you pick the one that looks decent. He just took one and threw that in there. Uh, and then we have another two pages of him hunting and fishing. That's it. Outdoors That's it. hunting and fishing. Lots of dead animals. Followed and by Kimberly Guilfoyle. Followed by another two pages of yes, hunting, fishing, and then Kimberly Guilfoyle, <laughs> which he would probably describe as hunting, also because you know how you hunt women. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, he's and one of those. Like he, you know what? Two-page spread of Charlie. Kirk. He's one of those <laughs> creepy guys who looks at another guy and says, "There's a lot of talent in here, if you know what I mean." That kind of creepy <laughs> shit. That's what he does. There are literally almost as many photos of Charlie Kirk in the spread as there are <laughs> I was going to say. His girlfriend. Like, uh, I think there's more of Charlie Kirk. And, and here's the thing. Charlie Kirk, uh, in this last photo, on, on, or not the last photo, but the, you know, almost last photo, uh, is almost scowling at the camera. And you know it's because he's thinking in his head, fuck, they're on the side of my face with my mole. God damn it. This is why I don't ever let also, anyone I see mean, that the, side the other of my thing face. That, the other thing that I think he's clearly thinking is, I am very young, and I am going to have to live with this photo for my whole career. Living with the shame, man. Living with the shame. And then the final two photos are, one, him standing at a rally at the podium with two fingers straight out ahead of him, pointing out and clearly yelling into the microphone, you know, like you do. Uh, and then the final one is him standing next to dad where both of them look like they're, they're tourists who didn't know they'd be a picture opportunity and mom <laughs> is making them stand in front of the camera so she can get it down. Yeah, what, what's funny to me in that photo is that despite the fact that he is clearly trying to stand as tall as he possibly can, <laughs> Donald Trump Sr. still looks taller. That's the lips. And I don't know if it's he's actually taller. It's the lifts, clearly. 
So, you remember what we were talking about before the photo spread? No, no I, I don't. I do not remember the I have one. no idea what we were talking about before this photo, photo before spread. Before he had to deliver them, what was he delivering? He, he was delivering them. Remarks. Yes. They were remarks. He was going to deliver made-up, off-the-cuff remarks. Yes. And that's the end of that section. We go on to a new one now. <laughs> and that's the end of the interesting stuff. <laughs> yeah, so now we go to one in the morning. By one in the morning, the only thing between his father and the presidency was Hillary's firewall which included Pennsylvania. And so he's sitting in the kitchen area of the apartment where they're all at, their war room, looking at the TV and watching and waiting for everything to happen and, and reminiscing about all the friends he's made in the Rust Belt of Pennsylvania, you know, at his elite college and prep school where he went, uh, who weren't the rich brats he knew who went to fancy private schools in Manhattan and then on to Harvard or Yale. They went to fancy private the schools University in Pennsylvania. Of Pennsylvania and is an Ivy League school. <laughs> It is one of the few elite school, truly elite schools in America. Mm. You can't be like, I didn't go to Harvard. Shut up. It is. It's an Ivy League school. It is a very, very good school. I would like to point out I went, I went to a better one. But, you know, we'll, we'll continue. Surely. We'll continue. I on. mean, didn't, didn't, didn't we all? But come on. Yes. But And then he, for no reason here, throws out these jabs against Joe Biden and Hillary Clinton saying that, you know, they just go and pander to people in Pennsylvania. They don't really care. And, of course, we got this in the chap, the last chapter with the union stuff. Or was that the, yeah, was yeah, that yeah. chapter seven? I don't remember. I don't think chapter, it was chapter seven. seven. Yeah, yeah, you might not, not, your, not your grandfather's. You're right. You're right. Yeah, that's the patron only chapter. Go listen Which is to why I felt like I had to, <laughs> I had to yeah, bring it up. Yeah. So we got some of that in the patron only chapter where he claimed that. Uh, Democrats are not truly the party of unions. Republicans are the party of unions. Yes, that's what he actually said. I'm not making that up. But he says every few years, people like Biden and Hillary spout the same lies about how they support working class people, and then they pass legislation that benefits the elite political class and leaves everyone else behind. And look. Yeah, I wrote wow the, in big letters. Well, look, <laughs> the left makes this criticism of mainstream Democrats. Yeah. But he doesn't then get to claim that Republicans aren't doing that and doing it worse yeah. if they are, right? That's the, thing. That's the thing. It's an argument of a complete cognitive dissonance because what he's saying is not necessarily wrong. But having said that, it's much less bad generally, generally when the yes, Democrats yes. do it. We get things like the CFPB under Democrats. Uh, yeah. But anyways. At 2 a.m. they still hadn't called Pennsylvania. Uh, so there was only 1% of the vote not accounted for. And, you know, even if Hillary won every single vote, it wouldn't be enough. So why didn't they just call it? And he was, I think he's beginning to come up with a conspiracy here of like, the, they're trying everything to not call it so that they can later fix it. And again, I'm sorry. this is another example. Hold on, hold on. This is another example of that thing that I say, or I said a while ago on the previous iteration of this, that they look for their worst instincts in other people. So like, if I were trying to fix the election, this is how I would do it. I would not call it until later and then say I found a bunch of ballots. How you know that there isn't actually an elite cabal of people that try to stop people like Donald Trump is that they don't even have ideas like this. Like th that is the idea, truly the domain of people who think the worst of other people. Yes. But see, the point I wanted to bring up was after all that, that you said where he goes, Oh, the media wouldn't possible. Also, first off, uh, has he not already told us there's a giant media conspiracy? He's not starting that. He's already made that conspiracy argument. But after he tells us all that, he says sarcastically, as he is wont to do, would the media ever do that? Couldn't be. 
No, they wouldn't stoop that low, right? Hit return. Right? Hit return. Fuck you! God, that's that but thing also, we like, hate in this fucking book. But, like, actually, right. Like, that's... <laughs> I know. No, they didn't. They didn't stoop... So, yeah, that, no, they didn't stoop that low. Right, you're right. Well, but, of course, we know that the media was, was central in developing... And this is where we get the tiny... Uh, toss out to the the actual name of this book in this chapter, right? We've gotten, what, we're on like 10 pages now of talking about his election night experience and all that, so we get the biographical portion, and then we get the tiny little smidgen of the left hates us and wants to silence us. Where he talks about, and then back to the biography. And then back to the biography. But the little bit of the left hates us he wants to talk about here is how when he went to vote that day, he walked down to vote at a public school and on the way was called every four-letter word imaginable. And we get here a toss out to so much for the tolerant left. Where he <laughs> Love says, that. You know, Love tolerant that. liberals screaming and cursing at me while I had four of my children in tow. By the way, which... It's free speech, man. I'm pretty sure free that speech. story got fucking made up because it's too goddamn yeah, I convenient. I think so. Or, yeah. That, yeah. Hey, I don't think he walked. I think he rode in a private limo with his Secret Service security patrol, which he had. Yeah, no way the Secret Service would let him walk. There's no way. Right. And B, I just don't think it fucking happened because he's a liar, and I don't believe him on most things. Yeah, that's fair. But he says that this hatred, this hatred that they have is for anyone who doesn't live in New York City or subscribe to their radical ideals. Didn't he live in New York City? Yes, this is true. <laughs> At the time? So you live in New York and they still fucking hate you. That's a fucking Donnie, clue. could it be because you're a douchebag who wears a puka shell necklace with your bangs hanging into your eyes and your shirt unbuttoned? I think that's where the hatred comes from. Now that I've seen that picture, I don't need any other reason to hate you. Yeah, that's fair enough. That, that, yeah. But it gives us the motivation behind all this conspiracy of the mainstream media, the MSM, if you will which is that too much was at stake, more than even the presidency, a global network of power that they'd spent decades building was in peril. And this is where we step, in, we step back into that uh, conspiracy land that I love so much, right? The media controls everything. I just need him to say the Rothschild some point in this book, and then we're set. We got it all done. He's already I mean, he brought up in, George he gets Soros. Into Podesta. He gets into Podesta, so... <laughs> Yes, he claims that Podesta was buying them well, time when he said they were going to regroup in the morning and figure everything out. But again, Hillary called at 2.30 to concede. Yeah. That's like, that's in your book. You haven't written it in the chapter, but you were so desperate to put the screenshot of your, the video you took of Daddy <laughs> in the book that that completely undermines this point of like, oh, they're trying to take it into the morning and, and regroup in the morning. No, she called to concede. Right. Right. And then he says, now, am I saying that I predicted then that the Democrats would cook up the Russia collusion hoax? No. Clearly that is not what you're saying. Well, but how could he believe that all those Hollywood producers and every liberal in the country would swallow such a scam as though it were gospel truth, says the guy who actually did meet with a Russian agent trying to get dirt on Hillary Clinton, and we know it because you admitted it and released the emails after you got caught. And also believes a bunch of actual conspiracy theories. Donnie. Like, oh, how could anyone believe this conspiracy? Like, you believe that the Clintons kill people. Like, you have tweeted about that. Like, <laughs> his father went on Alex fucking Jones's show. 
One on Alex yeah, fucking said he Jones. He's doing a lot of good for America. And look, I don't believe yeah. that Donald Trump actually knew who well, he might have known peripherally who Alex Jones was. I don't believe he actually watched Alex Jones's show. I don't think that's that's realistic because he spends too much time watching Fox News and he doesn't know how to work a computer so he could get over to fucking YouTube or wherever the fuck Alex Jones's show airs anymore. Yeah, I don't know. But the fact that he went on and made those praises and that people who worked for him knew that that was right up his demographic to put him on Alex Jones's show is disgusting enough for me. Yeah, that's, it's not great, Kevin. But he says, with reference to the Russia hoax, that in January 2017, the media disinformation apparatus led by BuzzFeed News began, and he doesn't even say BuzzFeed News, he says led by BuzzFeed began the dissemination of lies. Yeah, and I just wrote in the margins, top 10 ways to disseminate lies on vacation. (laughs) Because that, <laughs> that was the that was the steel dossier, right? Yes, that's, that's I'm pretty because I yeah yes Buzzfeed broke and like right we talked about a lot in the past on the old show Buzzfeed News killed it like they were doing yeah, they did. really great reporting they still are and it's the, surprising the, the as, they are is good and it's surprising as hell because you do not expect that at all but the next thing we get in this chapter is something that was widely reported when this book came out, which is the recounting of their trip to Arlington National Cemetery to lay the wreath at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. Can I, he- can I just point out that his first point, when he says, we went to the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, and then he's like, I don't get emotional, I guess you'd call me hyper-rational, comma, stoic. <laughs> what? <laughs> How can I make laying a wreath at the Tomb of the Un- Unknown Soldier about me? <laughs> I love the melodrama, and I love the obvious bullshit. It's so fantastic, man. It really is. I mean, like, I've been to Arlington. I live, like, a mile and a half from Arlington. I get there. It's a beautiful place. It's a nice place for reflection. But let's say, for example, I was the son of a millionaire who had never served in the military, whose first job out of high school was parking yachts. I don't think I would have had the reaction that Donnie Jr. said he has here, which is where he reminisced over all the sacrifices that they'd have to make to help his father succeed, voluntarily giving up a chunk of our business and all international deals to avoid the appearance that they were profiting from the office. Wait, what, and I, he didn't, thought, I, I, I did not get this at the time, but are we supposed to be thanking him for his service? Is that what, <laughs> like, is he stealing valor from literal dead soldiers here? <laughs> Forgiving, I did not get that switcheroo. That that is a lot. Wow. Oh, that's my reaction in real time. I didn't. I I think I was brain dead by this point in the chapter. I think, and I just missed that. It's easy to become brain dead when reading these books. Wow. Isn't it astonishing? Isn't it really astonishing? It's so good, Are man. You Do you see why I love? Do you see why I love these books so much? Do you see why I love them? Are you finally I, starting to understand? Kevin, I am like shaken by that. <laughs> he talked, he talked, okay. As we drove past the rows of white grave markers in the gravity of the moment, I had a deep sense of the importance of the presidency and a love of our country. So not about the sacrifices of ordinary soldiers, just about how it impacts you. I was never prouder of my father than when I watched as he stood before the tomb, his hand over his heart while the army bugler played taps. In that moment, I also thought of all the attacks we'd already suffered as a family and about all the sacrifices we'd have to help my father, we'd have to make to help my father succeed. What a wild (laughs) switch. Oh, my God. Nothing about people that have died in service of their country. Just like, and then I thought 
about all the times that I would have to face improvised explosive devices and senseless And the entirety of this page is all about the money they're giving up, supposedly, for their dad to be the president. And this, like, I gotta... this is the callback, Kevin, right, to, to my alternate wow. chapter title of, like, I'll stand over here and watch you play Catch Dad or, what you know, that that what I was going for, right? You got to remember, and this is what I step back and I remember, wait a minute, he's just the son of the president. That's all he is. Yeah. He's he, not actually doing yeah. anything. He's, a, he's still working for the Trump organization. He's going to run for he's He hasn't run. even changed offices. He's going to run for president. No, that's true. He's going to run for president. You know what? I would not be surprised at all if he runs for office in the next 10 years. And God help us if he becomes president. We are so fucked. I think it would be really funny if he was like just a house member. Like that's all he can. That's like the pinnacle of his political career. Because that just is like I tried to follow in my dad's footsteps and ended up like two rungs below. (laughs) That's really what I want to see. That would be really funny. I hope I hope Charlie oh, Kirk yes, runs against please. him and beats him. But he writes here, and I, this this uh, sounded out as interesting to me. He says we also had to give up a lot of domestic business because, as ridiculous as it sounds, we didn't want to run the risk of our domestic partners being branded racist, misogynistic, or any of the lies and labels the press has manufactured about my dad. That's not why you have to give up domestic business. Exactly. It's because those people didn't want to work with you anymore. <laughs> That was exactly what I had a feeling they were trying to cover for there. Yeah. Also, it seems super dodgy to work to favor certain businesses. That's it like a whole does. cause. And what we end off this chapter with is him talking about how all those phonies, all those people who they, they knew they were going to learn. His dad said, remember his dad's prophetic statement that they were going to learn who their true friends were. They all started to come out of the woodwork the moment they won the election. Because, of course, they would. They're grifters. Yeah. Also, that's what happens. Like, that it's that's not unique to the Trump campaign. Like, every time someone knew... Yeah, let me show you a video of Lindsey Graham before and exactly. after a golf date with and Donald. And how much Lindsey Graham loved Joe Biden in 2015 compared to how he talks about him now. Right, and, and he brings this up. Remember Tommy Hicks? We've talked about Tommy Hicks okay. a lot, Okay, anybody right? that goes by Tommy and is always <laughs> referred to as Tommy cannot it, be trusted. And is not a pinball wizard? Yeah, cannot be trusted. <laughs> okay. But he, he says one of the reasons that Tommy joined us was because he was worried about some of the people we'd be around in politics. And it couldn't possibly, because maybe he hoped he'd end up as co-chair of the Republican National Committee. Could that, and it, if not, he would is fall immediately right back into his, his family business. like Right, as, as a partner of Hicks Holdings LLC, where he is a multimillionaire and his family owns, I don't remember which team they own they own a team god christ so that is it that is that is uh, the end of the chapter all these people came at us after we got office and tried <laughs> to get some favors from us so as i always do i will read the final pair well i gotta read like two paragraphs because he's cut it up pretty bad here it is, of this this chapter. is i'm gonna talk about this because it is the worst <laughs> it is peak david foster wallace fanboy writing again so what he says referring to after winning the election is what didn't change was the attacks from the left. If anything, they only got worse. Let them take their best shot, I thought, because there was something else that hadn't changed. The fight in us. That is the last paragraph. Swelling strings, walking through fields of wheat. Just, he (laughs) visioned that as so fucking epic. It doesn't even have a nice nice rhythm. (laughs) 
no. it's got to be if you're going to do it it's the fight within us that's that's <laughs> how you that's how you end that also put a verb in like the fight that was inside us that's also better it has a better <laughs> rhythmical end i can write this a hundred different ways that rhythmically are better than that and still only use one sentence but he can't because he was working with baby's first typewriter <laughs> so benedict we know we never learn anything about these chapters right uh, but obviously, one thing that stuck out about this chapter is that it did not belong in this book. This oh, chapter man. started off entirely differently for an entirely different book. So I want to ask you, what book was this chapter actually written for? Oh, I, I, something like, I don't know, what's that Nostradamus' prophecies? <laughs> okay, I don't know where that comes from. I think you did a lazy job this week. Uh, I did. But <laughs> mine was... Uh, uh, the book title I came up with for where this really belongs is Sidelined, The Joy of Being Equipment Manager for the 2003 Florida Marlins, uh, <laughs> yeah, which is right. a joke you don't get, which is why I came up with a British version of that joke Go for it. you. Sidelined, The Joy of Being Equipment Manager for the 2006 Italy National Soccer Team. <laughs> right. All right. Right. He didn't actually do anything, and the team he was on metal. really shouldn't have won anyway. Yeah, that's true. That's I'm impressed that you went that far into looking that up. Yeah, yeah. Why do you think I get to come up with these jokes? Because I already have an answer for them. That's how it works. <laughs> and listener, I don't know why I didn't really think of this before in any of the previous episodes, but if you'd like to play along with our little game here and have your own answer to the question at the end of the chapter, then send it to us, and we'll read the best one on next week's show. Just do that by retweeting the episode or sharing it on Facebook with your answer to this week's question. That question again being, what book was this chapter really written for? So Benedict, that is it for this chapter of Triggered, How the Left Thrives on Hate and Wants to Silence Sorry, Us. Sorry, the thesis of that chapter, by the way, is how the left conspires to win from the jaws of defeat by actually conceding. At 2.30 a.m. in the morning. Like, that. that is the thesis. Look, you had this idea to do the thesis thing. I just see it as an entire losing pursuit here because there is no Probably. chance we're going to be able to divine any sort of rational thesis from any of these chapters. So I'm leaving that to you, and sure. I'm just going to make fun of them. Okay, that's fair enough. Well, once again, thank you all for listening to the show. We hope you enjoyed it. If you can't get enough of us, remember you can go over to patreon.com forward slash nygbc and become a patron for as little as $2 an episode for patron-only episodes, shout-outs on the show, drawings to win our copies of the books we read, and more. As always, we have to give a shout-out to our wonderful and amazing patrons. The fantastic A.J. Brantley, Taru Takanen, Andrew Jenko, Becky Scott Fairley, Skeptical Seventh, Emily Burke, and Brusque Platypus. That's it for this week's show. Till next time, up, up, and away! Goodbye. Podcast is a production of Kevin and Benedict Productions. Copyright 2020, all rights reserved. Music for this podcast is by Silverman Sound Studios. Find out more at silvermansound.com.